0: he is a veteran author of over 50 books many of which deal with vikings and anglo-saxon history he has also written medieval related articles for several historical journals he's been a consultant for the bbc english heritage and the national trust in the uk his latest book is entitled american vikings how the Norse sailed into the lands and imaginations of america which will be available worldwide from November 7th. And here to discuss his latest book is the author himself, Martin Wittick. Martin, thank you for joining us and welcome to the Viking Story podcast. Thank you for having me on the show. How was that for, for an introduction, by the way? <laughs> that sounds great. Very smooth and all accurate. <laughs> Perfect. So obviously, I, I was given the chance to read an advanced copy of your book um, ahead of this interview, fascinating book, really well-researched, I would say, and covering a lot of uh, themes and topics that don't often get covered in academic books. My first question was just, what was your motivation behind wanting to write American Vikings?
1: Two main things came together that prompted this book. The first was a fascination with Vikings and the Viking diaspora. Early medieval history has always intrigued me. The second is something that I have gained an interest in, relatively recently, which is the way in which we use the past as part of our deep stories to explain who we ha- who we are, um, who we think we are, and um, what's important in our modern societies. And a few years ago, I wrote a book called Mayflower Lives, which explored something of that and the Mayflower pilgrims. Um, but I realised, of course, that far earlier than the Mayflower pilgrims of 1620, there were other people who had made a Significant contribution to the European discovery of and settlement in America, who were also part of the deep story of North America, particularly in the USA, but not exclusively there. So two strands came together, a fascination with Vikings and Norse culture. And also an increasing interest with what I call deep stories, how we use the past to explain the present. We we mine it, we use it, we quarry it, we use it, we misuse it, but it's very much part of our modern world. And American Vikings speaks to both as interests.
0: Okay, yes. And you shed light on Norse activity in the New World after the year 1021. Um, a lot of academic material focuses specifically on this this time period, 1021 or, or thereabouts. Um, but you focus a lot more on the centuries that followed as well. And this seems to be a lesser focused researched area. Um, first of all, would you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that's the case?
1: I think that generally is the case. I think frequently the focus is on the saga evidence. And obviously, sagas are complicated. They're a mixture of history um, and literary artifice. But I think the sagas do tell us a story that's rooted in reality, um, but they obviously use it and it works if the story is worked through the layers of different editing uh, and so on. But basically there's often a focus on the sagas and they're particularly focused on the original discovery and then abortive settlement of North America. People are obviously rightly excited by the discoveries in Newfoundland where we now have archaeologically attested evidence for the Norse, which, as you rightly say, was dated in 2021 to 1021 from dendrochronology. So it's understandable people focus on those areas, and that gives us very much an 11th century focus. But what that fails to engage with, I think, is that there is evidence for subsequent Norse involvement with the North American continent and the Canadian Arctic Canadian subarctic arctic which doesn't get the same amount of airtime and i think that's partly because it doesn't have the same depth of literary tradition to draw on the sagas are so dramatic you know eric the red saga saga of greenlanders there isn't an equivalent of that that really takes us beyond, let's say, 1100. Uh, The archaeology is more complicated in some ways and is only recently emerging, particularly as people have re-examined sites from the Canadian Arctic and Subarctic, that shows that the Norse were actually active in the area significantly after the end of the Newfoundland settlement, which seems to have been a relatively short lived settlement. So, I think for those two reasons, the focus often is primarily on the 11th century. But what comes afterwards is also equally interesting because it's part of the ongoing story and a reminder that Vinland remained alive in the Norse memory and was not lost. And so, we have these clues about Bishop Erik Knupfsson going to. Vinland. We know very little else, but there's this tentative clue. What's that all about? We have evidence from some later sagas, uh, some more mythological sagas, uh, that talk about Helluland's deserts, uh, that talk about uh, strange beings um, and and goings on in this land to the west. And they just touch upon it in a very, very small way. Uh, And we know from the earlier evidence that places like Markland and Helluland and Vinland are clearly, we're pretty sure now, references to places like Labrador, Baffin Island, Newfoundland, and so on. So there are these tentative clues in later historic sources, but also in semi-mythological sources that the the Wild West, the Viking Wild West, continued to inform both historical and mythological outlooks uh, in particularly Iceland, but also in other areas of the Scandinavian world. So It was not forgotten. And we also have some historical clues that talk about people coming from Markland, which again, is clearly a a part of North America, uh, to Iceland on a boat that lost its anchor, for example, probably recorded in in the the 14th century, uh, maybe 15th century. So there are these ongoing clues, but they don't have, if you like, the headline grabbing power of the other evidence, but they're part of the continuing Vinland story. On the topic of archaeology, it's interesting that you you
0: talk a lot about artifacts, I'm going to call them unauthenticated artifacts, uh, most mm. of them in, in your book, but I just wanted to know what artifact, as described in your book, is your favorite in terms of sort of the greater story that the artifact speaks to, either locally or perhaps in the bigger picture of a Norse presence in the imaginations of Americans?
1: I think the one I would go for is the very famous Kensington runestone, uh, which was found in 1898 uh, in Minnesota, and purports to record the journey of Norse, a mixed group of Scandinavians, into the Midwest in the late 14th century. Now, if it were accurate, if it were genuine, it would be a quite extraordinary piece of evidence that talked to the ongoing involvement of Scandinavians with North America after the failure of the initial 11th century explorations and settlements. And it would be quite amazing because not only would it show an ongoing connection towards the end of the 14th century continuing uh, but it would also show an extraordinary penetration of North American continent to the Midwest but but it's almost certainly a fake there are all sorts of aspects of its language um, of the quality of the stone some uh, the way which the carvings have gone into the stone rather uh, there are aspects of of its find as well how it was discovered that really raise serious questions there are some connections between it and particular forms of runes that we know were being used in sweden in the 19th century uh, very shortly before its discovery which suggests that actually the person that carved the stone was actually drawing on 19th century forms of runes so all these things together suggest that it is a fake, that it isn't actually a 14th century Norse artifact. But it's quite extraordinary because what it speaks to is an ongoing interest in the Vindan settlement in North America and the way in which Scandinavians who settled in the Midwest wanted to validate their claim to the land and wanted to connect their homeland with their new land. And the area in Minnesota had been the subject of war with Native Americans in the 1860s, the Dakota War. And after this, Scandinavian pioneers had moved into the Midwest in some numbers. At the same time, people were beginning to push back, particularly Scandinavians and others, against the the Columbus origin myth, such that uh, in 1893, at the uh, Columbian Exposition in Chicago, a... Viking replica boat, a replica of the Gokstad ship, was moored off Chicago as a statement that the Norse were here centuries before Columbus. So it's no surprise in some ways that just a few years later, the stone is discovered in Minnesota. And I think what it shows is the grip of the Vinland Vikings on the North American imagination, particularly in the USA, speaking to origin myths that predated. Columbus, and also supporting the concept of North European discovery of America as a pushback in the contested field of who were the first Europeans. Columbus, of course, didn't actually get to north america uh, he was a south european uh, he was a catholic and there were clearly were some people within 19th century america who wanted to have a different origin myth which was effectively protestant because by that time scandinavia was thoroughly protestant and was north european and that connected with Scandinavian desires to make connections with this history. And the two things came together to create an atmosphere, an environment in which increasingly Norse artefacts are discovered, invented in particularly the USA, in order to validate the idea of of an alternative European discovery of the continent. And I think the Kensington runestone is quite an extraordinary example of how the Vinland Vikings entered into not just the history of North America, but they entered into the mythology and the imagination of North Americans. So, I think I go for Kensington, even though I do not think it was engraved by a 14th century Norse person.
0: That's fair enough. No, that's a, a great answer. Obviously, this is something that your your book, American Vikings, delves into in more detail. But you mentioned something there: the grip of the image of the Vinland Vikings. In the, in the imaginations of Americans today. And I just wanted to know, in, in your opinion, how historically accurate is the perception that we have of Vikings today, uh, particularly in America today? Is, is it accurate or how far off is our perception?
1: I think the perception is quite distorted uh, and it's complicated because on one hand, you have you know, the serious archeological historical research into the 11th century world what brought the norse to north america the kind of settlement that happened there and that's happening on one level and and that is ongoing and it's very very rewarding and and very encouraging people that people are engaging with this fascinating area of history but on another level the norse have been they have been taken and used hijacked i think particularly in the service of very much 21st century ideologies although it has started much earlier than this, in the 1920s and 1930s, which speaks to the idea of, of, of a white, monoculture, warriors, strong, powerful, battling with Native Americans. And that has, in many ways, been taken and adapted by areas of particularly the alt-right, to express their own racial anxieties and their own beliefs about where they stand uh, in the present spectrum of particularly US politics. So, for example, we find Norse symbols being used at Charlottesville, uh, the Unite the Right rally in uh, 2017. Um, the guy with the horns at the Capitol on the on January the 6th ha- has a body with uh, Viking tattoos on. And this is part of, of a different way of using the Vinland Vikings as a way of asserting particularly ideologies about white nationalism and Vinland Vikings standing for that particular approach to politics. So there's a very, very strange tension between the the archaeology and the history research and what I think is the clear misuse and abuse of this legend, because the, the Norse, or I should say not legend, but this this history mixed with legend, because the Norse were complex communities. We know they mixed with the Sami in the North Scandinavia. There would have been Celts involved in the settlement of Vinland. We know that from the sagas. Trying to create them as, as a white warrior monoculture is 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 clearly a, an abuse of the evidence and, and is misusing it and in between of course you've got all the other bits and pieces you know the viking patisseries you know and the horned helmets and so on and so forth but i think the biggest concern is how it's being distorted in some areas of the right at the moment
0: okay uh one last question just a personal question from my side how did you first start taking an interest in in vikings when and how were you hooked
1: well, it goes right back to university, actually. Interesting enough, I, I read politics at university, uh, but then went on to teach history for, for 35 years. Um, and I just became fascinated with the whole early medieval period. Uh, my surname, Wittuk, for example, first appears in this country in, in the 14th century. Um, and it's actually rooted in an Anglo-Saxon name, Whittuk, um, which obviously developed into a medieval surname. I then got fascinated by the idea of the early medieval period, by origins, the origins of England. And as I began to explore that, I began to realise how complicated this was. And I then began to realise the impact of the Norse on this already, you know, established Anglo-Saxon set of kingdoms, particularly in the um, the eighth and the ninth century, and how the Norse and the invasions and then settlement of of England and other areas of Britain became major contributory factors to the kind of nation that emerged before the Norman conquest. So it was an interesting route that came from personal interest to Anglo-Saxon interest to their fascination with the Norse and their impact on this country. And then from that, I became increasingly interested in, in the Norse themselves. And of course, the Vikings were a particular aspect of this in in many ways Viking was what you did rather than who you were it's the Norse culture it's your Vikings are the particular uh, muscular free enterprise usually men but may well be women involved as well in those raids as well but but that's become the label now that we apply to the whole kind of experience of the Viking age but it became for me a a journey from personal interest through national interest to then this international diaspora of 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 the Norse who has such an impact upon the british isles so it's quite a complicated cocktail of interest but they have fascinated me ever since
0: well thank you very much martin for joining us today and sharing some of this some of this background if people want to learn more about the impact of the norse in north america from the 11th century to today obviously i encourage them as i'm sure you would too to pick up your book, american vikings uh, available november 7th Um, how can people find your book
1: well, it's published by uh, Pegasus Books of New York and distributed by Simon & Schuster. So if you Google uh, American Vikings, uh, Martin Whittock, uh, you'll find that they are listed there. You can go straight to, to publish the publisher's website. But you'll also find it online, available by a whole range of different online booksellers. I shan't name one particularly famous one uh, because there are lots of them out there and the author all, all deserve their, their share of the market. And of course, if you go to your local bricks and mortar bookshop and say American Vikings by Martin Wittek, they can order it from Pegasus Books because we want to support our local bookshops too.
0: Perfect. So I will also put some links and um, some information in the episode description below. But Martin, just one last time, thank you so much for joining us on Viking Story Podcast. Um, It's been a pleasure having
1: you. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: So there you have it. That was Martin Wittick talking about his latest book, which is titled American Vikings, How the Norse Sailed into the Lands and Imaginations of America. It will be available worldwide from November 7th. And if you want to learn more about some of the topics that we discussed here today, then I obviously encourage you to pick up American Vikings. Um, it goes into a lot more detail into a lot of themes that don't typically get covered, as we discussed in academia. So what happened to the Norse... Vikings in North America after the settlement at Lanzo Meadows, for example, which seems to have been a short-lived settlement. Um, obviously, the Greenlandic Norse continued to live in Greenland until roughly the 15th century, and we do have, as Martin himself said, evidence that um, in the Icelandic Chronicles and other accounts that there were some voyages from Markland and, and some activity in North America from the Greenlandic Norse. Obviously, you know, we're talking several hundred years that the Greenlandic Norse would have continued to live on in Greenland after the discovery of Vinland and Hetluland and Markland and these places, so uh, it makes sense that they would have gone periodically from time to time over to pick up timber, possibly to trade, so these are things you can learn more about. Martin also goes into the archaeology and some of the unauthenticated, some authenticated artifacts as well though, um, that have been found in North America, not just at Lanzo Meadows, So definitely an interesting read. Um, if if you want to learn more, then uh, definitely search out American Vikings. My book, of course, is still available as well on Amazon, so if you want to find that, best way is to just search my name, Alan Laycock Fuchs, and you will find Bloodsword Saga. Otherwise, if you want to support this podcast and you're interested in having an editing tool for your own podcast, uh, then I encourage you to Click on my referral link and join the Elitu team. Uh, Elitu offers a very user-friendly editing tool that simplifies all of the editing that you would have to do for your podcasts and allows you to concentrate more on the creativity. So I can't recommend them enough. And of course, the publishing house behind my novel, St. Clair Publications, if you want to learn more about what's going on with them, check out their website, stclairpublications.com. As always... If you're a fan, if you've got a question, if you just want to reach out and talk about Bloodsword Saga or any of my podcast episodes, the best way to reach me is vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com. Once again, that's vikingstoryfaq. I look forward to hearing from you. I love hearing from all my listeners, and I try to answer as many questions as I can. Those that I can't answer directly, I probably will answer in a future podcast episode as well, so keep them coming in. I love hearing from you. And as always, cue Thor's thunder. Come <smart noise> on.